Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Won't you stand to your feet as we sing together this morning? God so loved the world. Sing with me. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Come all your sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only Son to save us. seated. Well, good morning. If you are happy to be here this morning, just say amen. amen. I am very happy to be here. 
Uh, it's been about a month. I was looking at the, at the calendar. We had uh, Sherry's mom passed away on New Year's Day. And let me just say that my church family, thank you for praying for us and all the cards and support. Uh, how do people go through those kind of things without a church family? Uh, it's, it's crazy to think about. Uh, but thank you uh, for all your support and prayers. And, and then having COVID for the second time, being out, uh, that's gone. That was more like a punch in the gut than hit, being hit by a Mack truck this time. So it was a good bit easier. And then um, going uh, last weekend to Snowbird with our young adults or Epic Ministry, we had a great weekend. So just things were all piling up. And so it's great to be back with you this morning in worship. We do want to welcome all of our guests that are with us. If you're a guest, we ask you to please take a care card and fill that in. We'd like to have your information, at least send you something from Pitts. As you leave today, there are boxes on the round table where you can leave those. And on the back of the care card, for everyone is a place to put prayer requests. We as a staff want to be praying for you. And so if there's an area uh, that you would like for us to know about, please list that. You can also put those in the boxes, and those will be directed to the right people to pray for you. But again, thank you for being with us today in worship. A couple of things I do need to make you aware of. Uh, we have some mission trips coming up. And we need to hear from you. Uh, there's three of these that are planned for Alaska, uh, two of them to Anchorage on June 11th and August 6th uh, through the 13th. And that's helping a church with revitalization, uh, helping them grow again. They've, they were hit hard. Uh, they changed a lot of their staff. And so they got down to, like, I think, like 40 people. And so they're building that back and want churches to come help them this summer with uh, revitalization. And then there's a trip on July 31st through August 6th through uh, to Soldatna, which is with Solid Rock Camp. It's a construction type trip. Uh, so those dates are on the Friday update. If you would like to go or are interested, please see Janet Blanford today. And if you could let them know for sure by next Sunday, uh, they would love to hear from you. And then one new trip that's been added is a trip to Guatemala to work with one of our North Carolina our Baptist Children's Homes of North Carolina actually has a home in Guatemala and would like to take a group. It would be a group of 12 or less. Uh, you say, do I need to speak Spanish? Well, it would help if you did, but you don't have to. Uh, we're hoping to take some people that speak Spanish and be our interpreters, uh, but it'll be working with the orphanage there and doing some things in the city where that's located. And so if you're interested in hearing more about that, we have a meeting this Wednesday in the cafe at 8 o'clock. So go by there. And we'll have information for you about that trip to the North Carolina Baptist uh, Children's Home in Guatemala. I know that's kind of confusing, but they, they are there in Guatemala. And then tonight, don't forget, we have several committees that will be meeting tonight uh, for the first time. First of all, 4 o'clock, we have a missions committee meeting in the cafe. And then at 5 o'clock, we have our new IT advisory committee. We're meeting in B110. Our fellowship committee will be in the core kitchen. Our greeters will be in the core E14. Personnel committee will be in the C building conference room. The safety committee will be in the core activity room. And then usher leadership, you'll be in the core E12 room. So if you're a part of those committees, if you would be here tonight, uh, most of those meeting at five, the mission committee at four, if you'll be in your place tonight. And then we also have a camp, a family camp trip planned for Team Valley Ranch on March 18th through the 20th. Uh, it's a, there's a $50 deposit due by next Sunday. And you can sign up at the info desk here in the worship center lobby. So those are a lot of announcements. Uh, let's go to the, uh, this time to the Lord in prayer. I would ask that each one of you take just a moment to get silent before the Lord and bow your heads and pray silently where you are. And then I'll, I'll lift up a prayer corporately in just a few moments. Let's pray together.
God, we do come before you this morning and just thank you, God, for all of the blessings that you give us each and every day. God, for allowing us to come as a body of believers to meet in a building like this, to worship you, to give, to hear a message from your servant. God, I pray this would be a blessed time. God, that it would not mainly be for us, but God, it would be totally for you. That we would worship you uh, with our giving, our singing, our listening ears, God, that our hearts would be open to what the Holy Spirit may want to say to us this morning. Even those online that are watching with us, God, that you would uh, go to them, speak to them through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, it is good to see our people back here in person, seeing new faces each and every week is an encouraging encouragement. God, I pray you'd be with our country, with all the different things that are going on right now. We pray for our leaders, God, that you would give them godly wisdom to know what to do. God, be with our country. Uh, be with what's going on in this world, God. We know it's not any surprise to you, and we pray that you would give wisdom where it's needed. God, today that you would be with pastor, give him the words to say. God, for those in our church body right now who are struggling, who are, are mourning, uh, even with his family, God, and the passing of his mom, that you'd be with his dad and his extended family, God, as I know they will miss her. We know she's in heaven, but God, it's still uh, still uh, time to grieve, and I pray you'd be with them in a special way. For others in our church who have faced loss, God, we pray that you'd be with each of them. God, thank you again for all you do to bless us. Bless this time as we meet together to worship corporately. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you stand as we continue in worship together? I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me?
It's not often one man is able to move the hearts of nations, to usher change across race and age. But when someone gives their life to a divine calling, amazing things happen. That is the legacy of Billy Graham. Tonight, I'm glad to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ can be received, your sins forgiven, your burdens lifted. Before we can have world peace, we must have peace within our hearts. Und bis wir Weltfrieden haben, müssen wir erst Frieden. There's only one road to heaven. You say, but if I believe God, isn't that enough? I want to tell you before you leave Madison Square Garden this night of May 15th, you can find everything that you've been searching for in Christ. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He was a mighty man. The Bible tells us that in spite of our sins and rebellion, that God loves us. I'm asking you tonight to follow him, to serve him, to let him come into your heart and forgive you. Be forgiven. Know that you're going to heaven. What can be said about one man's life? For Billy Graham, let it be said that he lived his life to bring the lost and hurting to Christ. Are you willing to receive Christ tonight? Because you may never have a moment quite like this again. You come and receive him into your heart and say yes to him. Hundreds of you right now. Just get up out of your seat and say tonight, I want my sin forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. I want eternal life. I'm ready to surrender my life to Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to follow him from this night on.
Jesus had the capacity to think of you. And he loved you enough to stay on the cross. Was there ever such love as that? Amen. Thank you, choir. Find Genesis chapter 12 in your copy of the scripture. Genesis chapter 12. Is this on? Genesis chapter 12. We're going to begin looking this morning at the life of Abraham. Abraham, a model of faith. And today, specifically, the beginning of a life of faith. Now, before we get into that, let me mention several in our church that are in need. Uh, some of you have probably heard that one of our young men, uh, Nathan Barrier, was in his automobile on the way back from Snowbird one evening and fell asleep at the wheel and uh, was involved in a single car accident, a pretty serious accident. And he's had a couple of surgeries there at Mission Hospital in Asheville and they're still trying to get some of his blood count straightened out and so forth and he'll be leaving the hospital and going to uh, physical therapy for a while and uh, while LaDonna and Ralph were going up there to see their son she got word that her mom in Georgia Warner Warner Robbins Georgia who had been under hospice care passed away and so she's divided between needs down in Georgia and then her son up in Asheville. So please pray for LaDonna and Nathan and their family. 
Uh, also, yesterday, Linda Malden's dad, 97 years young, went home to be with the Lord. So pray for Doyle and uh, Linda. Uh, also, don't forget to continue to pray for Ricky and Kimberly Oxford. The memorial service for young Rachel will be here on February the 19th, visitation at 1 p.m., and the funeral service at 2. Uh, that is a week from this coming uh, Saturday. And uh, just as Pastor Seeger mentioned, thank you for praying for myself, my family, and the homegoing of my mom, your cards, your letters, the food, the texts, the emails, the visits, all of that have meant so much. And so I sincerely want to thank my church family for your many expressions of love uh, during this time. You're uh, just such a sweet and fantastic church family, and I thank God for you. Uh, would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? And I am actually going to begin at verse 31 of Genesis chapter 11. The beginning of a life of faith. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds just illuminate our minds to understand the many rich and wonderful things that the Scripture says about 
Abram. And how you called him your friend. And how he followed you by faith. And what an example he becomes to us in this way. Lord, this is your word, your holy, inspired, inerrant word. And just as your Holy Spirit was the divine author behind it, I pray that he would now illumine our minds that we might understand it and apply it to our lives. And may it be for your glory and for the enrichment of our following you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For the next several weeks, as I've mentioned, I want us to look at the life of Abraham. Now, obviously, we know that in chapter 17, God changed his name to Abraham. Initially, he was Abram, and this morning, just out of habit, I may use Abram and Abraham interchangeably. But we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham because we can learn so much through character studies because folks anytime we do a character study in the Bible we're witnessing how God worked in that individual's life you know sometimes on Wednesday nights we've done character studies like this we've looked at the life of Ruth we've looked at the life of Esther and other characters in the Bible and they're so meaningful to us as we see their response to how God moved in their lives. And so we're going to see the same in Abraham. Now it's significant that we look at his life because he's the only person I'm aware of outside of the disciples of Jesus that God referred to as his friend. You remember when Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer simply refer to you as my servants, but now I call you my friends. Well, that's what the Bible likewise says of Abraham, that he was the friend of God. Now, what was it about Abram's life? that calls God to say something like this. Well, that's one of the issues that we're going to be exploring. Now, folks, as we look at character studies in the Bible, we need to remember what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, when we read about these saints of old, we need to understand that what was written about them applies to us. You see what Paul is saying there to the Corinthians? Our lives may be removed by several centuries, even several millennia from these Old Testament saints. But when we look at how God uh, called them to service and to follow him, it has a great deal to say to you and me today because he's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we see how he worked in the saints of old, we learn how he desires to work in our lives as well. Now let me set the table a little bit for chapter 12 before we get into it. We know that Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. There was a prominent British archaeologist by the name of Sir Leonard Woolley 
who began excavating the site of the ancient Mesopotamian city of Ur in the 1920s and the 1930s. It became a big media spectacle. The major news outlets and papers from around the world were covering everything that this man and his excavation team was doing. He he discovered the royal cemetery of Ur with its large cache of gold and the evidence of human sacrifice. That attracted travelers from around the world to go and see for themselves. He uncovered the remains of the queen all decked out in her gold with the bodies of her servants laid around her in the tomb. The mystery writer Agatha Christie was attracted to all of this. She married Woolley's assistant and the discovery of this royal tomb at Ur was the background for one of her murder mysteries. One of her books entitled Murder in Mesopotamia. Later she would write, she said, Leonard Woolley saw with the eye of imagination the place was as real to him as it had been in 1500 B.C. or even a few thousand years before that. Wherever he happened to be, he could make it come alive. While he was speaking, I felt in my mind no doubt whatsoever that the house Down the street on the corner had been Abraham's house. It was his reconstruction of the past and how he believed in it that everybody else who listened to him believed it also. Now we know that in Ur of the Chaldeans they were idolaters. And you know, Paul said in the book of Romans that when people reject God's truth, they will end up becoming idolaters. They will worship the creation instead of the creator. And they had done this in Ur of the Chaldeans. They they worshipped, one of their gods was referred to as Nana, the moon god. And so their lunar religion dominated their lives from the time they were born until the time that they died. Now we need to also understand something about the transition between chapter 11 and chapter 12 here. The end of chapter 11 records the death of Abraham's father, Terah. But chronologically, Terah was actually alive through the entire narrative about Abraham that goes down through Genesis 25. We're told that Terah was 205 years old when he died, making Abraham 135 years old at the time of his father's death. Now, there's some chronological challenges with this when we read Stephen's words in Acts chapter 7. But all of this can be reconciled and that's the subject matter for another study. But suffice it to say for now that it's not unusual that the biblical writer got words about Terah out of the way early, recording his death before going on to write about Abraham while Terah was actually still living. 
To fast forward and record Tara's death at this point is basically a way of the biblical writer saying that Tara is not going to be the focus at all in this narrative. Rather, his son is going to be the focus. It's also a way of saying, according to one of the prominent scholars on the book of Genesis, it's one of the ways of saying that true life is not to be found in either Ur or Haran, but rather true life is to be found in Canaan. And Terah missed out on it. He missed the opportunity to be a part of all this. Because Terah didn't go to Canaan. He stayed in Haran. And also it's a common pattern pattern in Genesis to name the father and then actually go on to talk about the son. For instance, Genesis will say this is the family history of Isaac and then it will go on to talk about Jacob and Esau. Or this is the family history of Jacob but then it will go on to talk about Joseph. So this is a common pattern. Well, let's see this morning how in the midst of darkness God called his servant and, 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 and begins in that servant a journey of faith that is going to even impact others. And that we're still reading about and impacted by even today. I want you to see with me first of all today, Abraham's call. Read with me again verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram had received this call while in Ur. And the book of Acts says that they left there in Ur and they traveled down to Haran. We're never told precisely why they stopped in at Haran instead of completing the journey, but they did. And even worse, to get to Haran... From Ur going over into Canaan, they actually had to take a little detour and go northward a little bit to come to Haran. Why did they do something like this? We're not told. But for 15 years, they were there in Haran. And folks, this is so true to life, isn't it? So often times, God moves in our lives and He calls us to something And we begin to obey, we begin this journey of faith of following him. And then we get busy about life, circumstances change in some way. And and we just get sidetracked in our faith. And oftentimes we don't finish what we know God has put on our hearts to do. You know, God could do so much more in and through us if we would stay on target with Him. Amen? Have you ever been sidetracked? 
Has God ever put something on your heart that you knew you were supposed to do? You knew, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you were supposed to do it. But something happened, something came along and you put it off and you put it off and you put it off. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody this morning that your life is still sidetracked. You've never gotten back to what you know God initially called you to do. Chapter 12 seems to be a reissuing of this previous call. In other words, God is reminding Abram once again, Abram, you need to get going. You've wasted enough time in your life. You need to complete the journey. You have been in Haran long enough. Folks, I want to point out several things about this call. First of all, it was a call to leave behind his securities. When you slow down and really look at this call, you see how shocking it would have been to anyone. Abram, leave your country, leave your family, leave your father's house and go to a land that I am going to show you. And folks, when you understand the culture at the time, it's even more shocking because families stayed together and they lived together. Many generations were tied up together in a single household or a single farm. You know, we're so mobile today. We're so individualistic. We, we go to college, we move away, and sometimes we never get back to our hometown where maybe our parents and our grandparents are. So we read something like this, and it's really hard for us to understand what a shocking call this would have been to Abraham to leave behind all of his securities. I guess about the closest in American culture we can get to understanding this would be from one or two hundred years ago when America was largely just rural countryside and multiple generations would stay together on one farm. The, the grandfather, the father, the sons, the grandmother, the daughter, the granddaughter, they would all pull together to operate that family farm. And here God is saying to this man, Abraham, I want you to leave all of that behind. Essentially even cut ties with your inheritance. This is a call for Abram to leave behind everything that was familiar to him. And you know, we find in the New Testament what Jesus says to us as his disciples in Matthew 10. Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he, do, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You see, God still calls us to stake everything on Him. And I'm reminded of all of those excuses people offer for doing this that Jesus addressed in Luke chapter 14. 
Remember that story he told about a master giving a banquet and invitations were going out? And people began to make excuses of why they couldn't obey this call. One said, hey, I've bought land and I need to go and see it. He also dealt with possessions. I've bought oxen and I need to go test them out. And he thought about people, how people can even be a barrier to following God. One young man said, I've married a wife and I can't uh, come to this banquet right now. And Jesus had the character in that story who represented God saying, I tell you, none of those invited to my banquet shall be there. Folks, God is serious about his call to us. He's serious. God was calling Abraham to a life of separation. When God issues his call to us, it may not necessarily involve going far away. But nonetheless, it's a call to separate from this world. Abraham had to separate from everything he knew in Ur of the Chaldeans and in Haran. He had to separate from his father's household. And it's a reminder to us that this world is not our home. We are to live in this world as strangers and pilgrims. And I'll have more to say on that later. But what I want you to see is that a life of discipleship, a life of following after Jesus, is a life of cost. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, No one can come after me and be my disciple unless he denies himself takes up his cross, which was an instrument of death, and follows me. No one can be my disciple unless he denies himself, picks up his cross, and follows me. Folks, if my faith has never cost me anything, or your faith has never cost you anything, then we need to examine what kind of faith do we have. When I think about Abraham's legacy, though, I think about Simon Peter's words to Jesus in Matthew 19 when he said, Lord, what about us? Because we have left everything to follow you. And you remember how Jesus responded to that? He said, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will likewise inherit eternal life. Yes, Abraham had to cut ties with his past. He had to separate himself from all of his securities and go where God was calling him. But look at what Abraham was promised that he would get in return. It was so much better. It was also a call that had to be carried out in faith. I want you to notice that apparently... At the beginning at least, Abraham was not even sure as to where he was to go. 
He was simply called to go to a land that God would show him. I mean, at this point, Abram had nothing more than what John Calvin referred to as the naked word of God. That's all he had to go on. The word of God, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham, as you launch out in obedience, I'm going to make it clear to you every step of the way where you are to go. You realize that's still a problem with people today, isn't it? We often want God to to lay out the whole plan for us before we even take the first step. It's as though we say in essence to God, God show the whole outline of my life to me. Show me the whole outline and then let me have a vote whether I'm going to do it or not. At least let me say, well, I'll take this piece of the puzzle, but God, no, I don't want that piece. I'll take this piece, this piece, but this piece and this piece I'm going to lay aside. That's how we think oftentimes. But God doesn't operate that way. If you don't obey God today and what he tells you to do, you may not be told tomorrow what you're supposed to do. Folks, we are to walk by faith today and God will shed light on our path today and he'll also shed light on our path for tomorrow and the day after that. Each day we follow him by faith living in obedience and God directs our steps. It was also a call that involved promise. I hinted at this a moment ago. When God calls us to something, yes, it may involve sacrifice, but it will also involve blessing. All of the saints in the Bible who answered God's call not only were called to a particular service, but their own lives and families were enriched in the process. In verses 2 and 3, what we see here is a sevenfold promise upon Abraham, signifying completion, sevenfold. And God is the one who's going to bring it all to pass. Notice that, that Moses, as he's writing this, as he's writing these words, recording what happened with Abraham and, and God's conversation with Abraham, God is saying to Abraham, I will I will, I will. God is saying he's going to be the one who is going to bring all of this to pass in Abraham's life. He's going to be the one at work in Abraham's life and, and bringing to him a life of meaning and purpose and satisfaction. Folks, I want you to notice these promises were unfulfilled as of yet. Abram and Sarai were childless at the time that God called Abram. They were like couples. We've had couples in the church who prayed for children for years and years and years. Some of them never got a child. They they went out and adopted. Abram and Sarah would be like a couple praying for a child all of these years and never having received one as of yet. And yet he's promised children. He's 75 years at the time, which was about middle age for him. Again, not even one child yet. And God says to Abram, I will make of you a great nation. And I'm going to give you so many descendants. 
you won't even be able to count them. And folks, in verse 6, we're told that the Canaanites were still in the land. And yet by God saying, I'm going to make of you a great nation, God is saying, Abram, this land will be your land and the land of your descendants. The Canaanites that you see in the land now aren't going to be the ones who have this land. You and your descendants are going to be the ones that I'm giving this land to. Such rich promises. You know, folks, God's promises to the faithful sometimes just seem staggering because sometimes we look at the here and now and and we think about God's promises for the future and we, we don't even understand how it can all come to pass. Yet we know it will because it's God's promises. And it's like what Paul said in the book of Ephesians. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could even think or ask. Aren't you glad we serve a God like that? But the promises come after the response to the call. Again, people tend to say, God, do it do it all first. Let me see you do it and then I'll obey. But God says, no, you obey my word and then you'll see what I can do. God promised to make a nation out of Abram and God did just that. God promised to give Abram a great name. Isn't it interesting at the Tower of Babel, this is what men were seeking for themselves. And God was displeased by their pride and so he separated them all out and confused their languages. But what men were trying to do on their own, God promised to Abram. God said, I'm going to make your name great. So again, through obedience to God, Abram would have significance, which is the very thing people search for today. You want meaning and purpose and significance and satisfaction in your life? I'm here to tell you today, it will only be found in obedience to God. Whatever you're trusting in in the world to give it to you, it's not going to give it to you. This world is going to fail you. Men will will fail you, but God is true to his word. God also promised, him who curses you, I will curse. And him who blesses you, I will bless. You know, I think immediately, just after this, at the end of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus, how God dealt with the Egyptians and with Pharaoh. I also think about how God dealt with Haman in the book of Esther. The New Testament points out that the Jew has rejected God's plan of salvation, but God's not done with the Jew yet. Paul outlines all of that in the book of Romans. And through the Jews' disobedience, the good news goes out to the Gentile. And the unnatural branch is grafted into the natural olive tree. That's us. And so by faith in Christ, we become Abraham's heirs. Folks, You are included in this promise here given to Abraham. I mean, it's staggering to think about how he says, In you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. Think of what God went on to do in calling the Hebrews 
as Paul says again in Romans, through them, because of God's choice of Abraham and his descendants, we have the patriarchs, we have the law, we have the covenants, the prophets, and finally, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. What great promises. You can draw a straight line from these words right here in Genesis 12 all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ himself and for those who are in Christ. But again, do you realize that Abram never saw all of these promises come to pass in his lifetime? But God brought about every single one of them. And that says to you and me, even when we don't see God blessing our obedience, never underestimate what God is going to do. You may never see what God does through your children. You may even question at times, is God even working in them? But you know what? Your faithfulness may so impact them that one day, them, their children, and generations to follow, they are believers following Christ. You may never see it in your lifetime. It may be not until you get to the other side that you see it. But you know what? One of these days, we will see all of the promises of God come to pass. It was also a call that involved service. He said, you will be a blessing. In other words, what Abram was to do wasn't simply for him. Yes, he would be blessed, but he was not to hang on to the blessing for himself. Through absolutely no merit of his own, God was going to do a mighty work in and through him. God was going to save him. God was going to begin a new nation through his descendants. This nation would be a light to everybody around them. They would be God's own possession. And they would be a great witness in the darkness to God's saving grace. And then through this nation again by, by the human line, the Messiah would come. The Messiah for the world, Jew and Gentile alike. This whole chain of events is about to begin with Abraham. What a blessing. And yet God reveals to Abram that he is to also be a blessing. God is beginning with Abram, but he is not stopping with Abram. Everything he does through Abram, is to spill over to others. And folks, that shows a very important biblical truth. Election is for service. If you deny election, you have to deny large portions of the Scripture, but election is also for service. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said, Timothy, everything I'm enduring, I endure for the sake of the elect. All of the persecutions I'm going through, all of the beatings, all of the imprisonment I'm going through, I am doing for the sake of those who are going to come to faith in Christ through my preaching of the gospel. God doesn't just save you so you can be saved and satisfied. God saves you so that you can be a testimony and a blessing 
to others. And folks, we need to catch a vision for that today. Because again, everything God does isn't just for us. It is to be shared. Those who know Christ are to go into all the world preaching the gospel, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're not just to sit on the blessings for ourselves. We're to be a light to others, just as Abraham and his descendants were to be a light. Now let's move on secondly and see Abraham's obedience in verses 4 to 9. 4 says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. I want you to notice first of all his obedience came at approximately his midlife point. Now why do I mention that? Because some of you in here today are probably thinking you know what? It's too late for me. Yeah, I knew when I was a younger person, maybe a college student, God was wanting me to do such and such. But I've gotten busy in other things now. I've got another career path. I've got all these responsibilities. It's too late for me now. I'm too old. And I want to remind you that Abram... Abram was 75 years old and I would also remind you that Moses was 80 years old when God called him. I also want you to see that his obedience involved great adjustments. Folks, you can't follow God without making adjustments. Some people say, Pastor, I would love to teach a Sunday school class. I think God is calling me to do something like that. But I just don't know that I want to commit every single week to it. You need to adjust. I would love to tithe. My wife and I or my husband and I have talked about giving to the Lord's work. We'd love to tithe, but we're not sure with our budget we can adjust some would say oh I would love to visit lonely seniors in nursing homes I'm just not sure I have the time or the energy adjust folks you can't just dream of what you would love to do for God and talk about it And consider that dreaming and talking about it to be the obedience in and of itself. It's not. you got to do it. And obedience to God in the scripture always involved God's people making significant adjustments. Who in the world do we think we are today that we're the only generation alive today we're supposed to get all the blessings from God, God work in us and call us and we be involved in His work but we never have to 
give up any of our conveniences or we never have to adjust. Folks, all through the Bible, people had to adjust. The writer of Hebrews indicates that Abram lived in tents and he passed through the land as a pilgrim. Why in the world would he have left behind a home where everybody knew him? He leaves this behind to go and dwell in tents in a land where he was a stranger. Well, the the Bible says it was because he was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He adjusted. Everything around us says settle down, put down roots, accumulate as much as you can, preserve your future right where you are. But God's word reminds us that even if we do that, we are to live as pilgrims. We are to live our lives preparing to stay but ready to go. Ready to go wherever God calls you and whatever he calls you to do. We're to have a loose hold on the things of this world. Jesus said even a loose hold on our very lives themselves. If we seek to save our lives, we'll lose them. If we lose our lives for His sake, we'll save them. We need to have a loose hold. We need to keep our eyes on Christ and make whatever adjustments He's calling on us to do. And until we do that, we will never succeed in living a life of obedience. Are there some adjustments God's calling on some of you to make? I want you to notice his obedience impacted others. Verse 5, notice that Abram took some people with him. If you're living in obedience to God, you can't help but impact others in a positive way. They're going to want to get in on it. Let me show you something here you might otherwise overlook. Notice verse 5. Let me explain what's going on when it says that he took the people of Haran whom he had acquired with him. Your translation may refer to this as being slaves. But that's not what's going on here. That's not the best translation. What the Hebrews suggest and also what rabbinic tradition picked up on is that Abram began sharing his story even in Haran. In Haran he began talking about this true and living God. In the midst of idolaters around him, he began talking about this true and living God who had called him and was working in his life. And some of them in time began to believe. They wanted to get in on this too. And so when God said leave Haran and finish the journey, get down into Canaan, folks, they wanted to go too. They wanted to be a part of it. His obedience impacted others. And then I want you to notice lastly that his obedience included worship. You'll notice from verses uh, 7 to 8. Abram built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. Now some writers wonder about this. Was was this an act, building an altar? Was it an act of claiming the land for Yahweh? Was it an act of building an altar so he could offer sacrifices? We're not told for sure what what 
all the altars symbolized. But what we do know, he didn't just settle down in the land God had sent him to and then just started doing his own thing. He stayed in communion with God. And that's what these altars symbolize. He was staying connected to God. Some people get where God wants them, they get busy, and they forget all about God. But I'm busy doing God's work. You can get busy in God's work and forget about God. I think of what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. He said, you're busy, you're laboring to the point of exhaustion, but you have left your first love. Oh, they were busy about the Lord's work, but they had lost their connection to God. And this is something Abram didn't do. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 15 when he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me and let my word abide in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, we've got to keep the vital connection with God. We've got to worship God. It's got to be a daily part of everything we do. Because that's where we're going to find our strength and our direction. You know, in the book of Acts, the religious leaders said of the apostles that they took note that they had been with Jesus. Would anybody ever look at our lives and take note that we've been with Jesus? Only if we keep that connection. I want to give you some life lessons in closing. In the midst of darkness, God calls men and women to follow Him. He calls us to a life of separation. We're to live in this world as strangers and pilgrims. Folks, we cannot reach a world for Christ if we are no different than the world. God's called you. He's called me, again, to a life of separation. I want you to understand that this morning. If you're a Christian, you're called. Paul said to Timothy that he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. How are you doing with God's call on your life? Are you following him? Are you being obedient in what you know you're supposed to be doing? Are you living a life of separation or are you living a life of compromise? Second lesson, God does a work in us that he might do a work through us. You're not left out of the blessing, but the blessing is not to stop with you. Have you become too selfish and too comfortable? Are you actively trying to make a difference in others with your Christian faith? And then a last lesson. To be used greatly of God, it's critical to stay in close communion with God. Your relationship with God has, has got to be continually nurtured and fed.
You know, I could be speaking to somebody this morning that needs to come forward in just a few moments and say, Pastor, you know what? I've, I've never begun a life of faith, but God's been working in me. And this morning, I want to surrender all to Christ. I want to lay it all on the line, and I want to be His disciple. I need His forgiveness. I need His salvation. I need His work in my life. I'd be more than happy to pray with you. But again, Christians, I want you to think about that call God placed on you perhaps many, many years ago. Where are you in that process? What adjustments might you need to make to get back to it? Would you stand, please?